Welcome to A Life Shared, Parent Helps and Renovations. Whether your kids are three months old or 33 years old, we can live with each other in a way that gives life. That's A Life Shared. I'm Ellen Martin. Glad you joined us. Scott, welcome to A Life Shared, Parent Helps and Renovations. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. You sent me a copy of your book, Silence Kills, Communication Tactics to Speak with Confidence and Build Your Influence. You talk in your book um, about the brain and stress, and I loved it. There was a place on page 42 where you said, a timeout is what kept me from killing my kids when my teeter-totter was out of balance. Yes. The reference to the teeter-totter being out of balance, can you tell our listeners what you're talking about? Yeah, that was the most useful thing that I ever learned in hostage negotiator training. And it's so useful that my wife and I teach a pre-marriage class at church. I've added it to that curriculum. Every time I talk communication, I use this illustration because it just changes how we approach communication. Inside Mm -hmm. everybody's brain is a teeter-totter. And you may call it a seesaw, depending upon where you live. Where I grew up, it was a teeter-totter. And you know, if you picture the teeter-totter, on one side of the teeter-totter in our brains is emotion. And I don't care what that emotion is. It could be fear, stress, anger, frustration, whatever. Emotion lives on one side of the teeter-totter. And on the other side of the teeter-totter is logic and reason. So if you think when emotion goes up, when emotion is high, the other end of that teeter-totter, which is logic and reason, are low. This is why we have all made emotional decisions and the next day, can't figure out why we did what we did because there was no logic invited to the discussion. And we just made an emotional decision. And then our brains will try to logically make that make sense because our brain has to be right. Our challenge as parents, as spouses, as whatever role we're living in is when our kids or our spouse comes in high emotion, we've got to let them vent. We've got to let them talk. We've got to ask good questions. We've got to be silent while they vent because as they vent, as they yell and scream or whatever it is they need to do, get out their frustrations, emotion will start coming down. And when that side of the teeter-totter starts coming down, logic and reason come back up. The Mm -hmm. worst thing we can do is meet somebody's high emotion with our high emotion because that will just keep them spun up. If we hit them with an even balanced teeter-totter, some emotion, but some logic and reason, and we let them vent in a safe way, we'll get to the issue a lot quicker than if we spin things up. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the key things that you just spoke to is the parent, you know, for our context, needs to deal with their teeter-totter. For sure. (laughs) And, you know... When you're a new parent, you're you're learning this, right? Like you're you're facing it because the kid's teeter totter is out of balance, and your teeter totter is out of balance, and you don't even know you have a teeter totter. <laughs> and right. you know you you begin to discover that you do, and hopefully through things like this, you're like, oh, that's what's happening. You know, someone like you is giving language to what they're experiencing. And so what are some things that you would say you have found helpful as a former hostage negotiator and as a parent to help balance your own teeter-totter, Scott? Yeah, I think there are times where, and you mentioned the timeout, and that's one of my favorite examples, because that allows me to not say or do something to my kids that can't be undone. 
If I mm-hmm. give them a timeout, send them to their room, that's my time to rebalance my teeter-totter. And if I've done it appropriately, I usually will end a timeout when they were smaller going to their room and apologizing for how I handled the situation. Mm-hmm. Because my teeter-totter is back in balance and logic and reason are back there. So so what do we do in a timeout? It could be nothing. It could be sit in a quiet room. It could be take a walk. It could be talk to your spouse if there's an issue with your kids. It could be any number of things because there was more than one occasion when my kids were young, especially the toddler years that were so difficult sometimes. I had raised two headstrong girls, which I told them will make them super successful once they get out of my house, right? But oh, we, them, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it is is hard. People say, oh, I want strong kids. And I'm like, "Um, do you really want to raise strong kids? (laughs) I want strong adults, Ellen. I don't want strong kids. There's a difference, you know. If we're honest, that's the truth of it. But I have five strong kids. And, you know, people will Mm -hmm. sometimes look at me. And if they know me well, they're like, well, you know where they got that from. And I smile and I'm like, be nice. (laughs) Be very nice. I know where they got that from. But it is a challenge to raise strong kids. Um, but when you're given strong children, um, you have to learn how to do it. I have a child who's very emotionally intelligent. Um, one day he said to me, we don't do rest time because we need rest. We do it because you need rest. That's true. (laughs) And he was like seven. And my first thought Mm -hmm. was I'm in serious trouble that he's catching on to all these things this quickly. Mm -hmm. My second thought was, you know what? I do need rest time. And if I have rest time, it's good for me and it's good for you too. Mm-hmm. We do this because it helps us love one another well. It's like a reset button for all of us. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. for me or for you. If it's for one of us and one of us really needs it, it's good for all of us. And uh, that was one of my my critical ways of making my teetotter work. Um was rest time when my kids were little and I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, as I mentioned in another interview, working for no pay. Because <laughs> there aren't any moms who don't work. Some of us just get paid right. and some of us don't. And I appreciate the part of when it does go well, of being able to go and resolve that the mm-hmm. teetotter was out of balance, you know, apologizing, taking responsibility, and and moving forward with the teetotter in balance. You mentioned that you do that a lot with your toddlers. I know one of your children has grown and out of the house and one is still home as a high schooler. How does that work mm-hmm. for you now with older children? I will tell you the the oldest is 22. She's married. The youngest is getting ready to graduate high school just for perspective. And I will tell you the hardest thing about the age we're in now is transitioning from dad to coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I coached high school athletes for five years and I would make suggestions to them, but I can't actually make them do anything, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm going to make suggestions, but when you transition to the coach role as a parent, you know, my oldest was in college and she had played volleyball all through high school. And when the volleyball team made tournaments, she wanted to drive from Bowling Green to the tournament that evening. And that would put her home at midnight back in Bowling Green. And I'm like, I don't know that this is necessary, Grace. I don't think this is a great idea but you do what you think is best. And Mm -hmm. she showed up and supported the team that she loved so much and she cheered Mm -hmm. and then she went back to college and it was fine. I -hmm. wanted to tell her, no, that's not necessary. It's a waste of (laughs) gas. It's a waste of everything. To her, it was important. And now that she has a husband, I have to take even a further step back. Mm -hmm. I have to say things like, well, 
have you talked to Gerard about this? What's his thoughts on this? You know, make sure that she's going to him first, because I believe firmly, you know, he's the first person in her life that should have a say in things. And yeah. then we can offer advice. And then listen, you guys do what you think is best. Here's my experience, but you do what you think is best. That was easier with her. The youngest one has wanted that since she was 10. She was very, you know, push against us, very independent, very figure mm -hmm. it out on my own. Don't mm -hmm. help me. She would come mm -hmm. and ask for help. And then you'd get half a sentence in and she'd be like, okay, I got it. Never mind. Leave me alone. And she would go and figure it the rest of it out. So mm -hmm. we've had to make that transition earlier with her because she's just her own independent person and, you know, very different from her sister. Her older sister would read every book on the subject and then try some experiments. The youngest one would get in the middle of it and figure it out with the cuts and bruises along the way. That's Absolutely. just how they're wired. You know, I... Regular listeners know that we have five children. They're all very different. And I say that the most challenging thing is meeting each child where they are. Yes. That's the most challenging thing for me as a parent. And it doesn't matter if you have five or you have three or two. Meeting each child where they are and honoring them, giving them what they have need for really is our job as parents. And that's the hardest part. You know, this transitions us really well to your chapter on listening. And you talk about the importance to listen, listen to what the person that you're interacting with, what do they want? What do they need? How can you help them? What drives them? What do they value? What upsets them? Those questions you're not asking in the context of parenting, but I read them and I'm like, yep, that really sums up being a supportive parent. Looking at those questions and asking them, and I love how you pointed it out, all of those questions are about the person you're speaking with. So in this context, all of them are about our child. Mm -hmm. And having three teenagers, one who's getting ready to leave for the Navy, one who's getting ready to be a senior and is looking at next steps, you know, my youngest... He is much like your youngest. Um, he was teaching people how to play chess at four. Mm. When we make decisions around here that are outside of our norm, he's wanting to understand why, because he's got his own ideas and he'd like to contribute to the plan. You <laughs> right. know, and I just have to smile and say, buddy, this is not your plan to make. Thank you for your thoughts about it. Because he'll just insert them constantly at nine. God love him. Mm -hmm. But it is really important as parents to listen to our children and understand them so that we can guide them well, we can support them well. Could you share a moment with us when, part of me wants to say when you did that well, but maybe when you didn't and what you learned because you didn't stop and listen to your kid? Yeah, I will say, you know, our kids are four and a half years apart. We wanted them to be two years apart, but we learned there's things we can control and things we can't. So they're four and a half years apart, and that's just how things are, and we're not mad about that. But that's that's long enough to figure out that you've, when you're doing the first one, you're like, this worked with the first one, I'll just do it with the second one. And it just doesn't work. It'd be so nice if you developed a plan that you could then, a template that you applied to every kid that was next in line. It just doesn't work that way. And the hard part was figuring out how best to motivate and lead them because mm -hmm. they're diametrically opposed to each other. We jokingly say the average of our two kids is a normal human being. And I would say that if they were both sitting here, like they both have their eccentricities and their things that we love and that they're special and we wouldn't trade them for the world. But between the two of them is an average human being. So what works for this one is not going to work for that one. So mm -hmm. listening to what they're into 
Uh, as an example, my youngest has always been into fashion, makeup, all the things that adorn somebody. When she was, before she could talk, she would flip through a magazine and point to shoes that she liked in just mm -hmm. a regular magazine. That's just how she's mm -hmm. made. And so now I don't understand any of it, but that's what she's into. So, you know, help me understand. Tell me what this thing does. What is, why is this important to you? Is it important enough for you to spend your money or just my money? Because it's a lot easier to spend my money than it is yours. And that uh -huh. stuff is expensive. But it's easy for me as a dad, as a guy to say, you know what? That's stupid. We're not spending our money on that. But I have mm -hmm. to look at it from her perspective. This is something that she values, that mm -hmm. she finds important, and she's actually very good at. Mm -hmm. So we have to say, we have to balance what we think is stupid versus what's important to them. And that was even when they were younger, sitting next to them and watching the YouTube videos that they watched, that I thought as an adult were stupid, but that's what they were into. So help me understand this. Let me watch this. At least I can have mm -hmm. a conversation with you about this. This is the same reason that when they were really young, I had bows in my hair and they did my hair and all that stuff because that's what they were into. And if I wanted to spend time with them, that's what we did. Yeah, I get it. You know, and I got to say, I, in some areas, it's really easy to catch on and connect with them because you do have a shared value. Mm. And then there are things that as they grow older that change. We have a practice of starting to give our children an allowance in the seventh grade. And that mm -hmm. allowance is not just money to spend. It has designated purposes, much like a budget. You know, when you get a paycheck and you have things you have to spend. So in, starting in the seventh grade, we give our children allowance. They wash dishes. They empty the dishwasher. They weed eat by that age. They mow on our five acres. They do a lot to make our house a home. And so we say, okay, hey, listen, this is what we're going to pay you for the work you do to make our house a home because the workers do their wages. We give them X mm -hmm. amount of dollars and we say, and this is now your financial responsibility with your money. You get to pay for your haircut. You get to buy gifts when you go to birthday parties. And mm -hmm. there are a couple of other things. And it was really fun when we started it with the first two. When I was like, so if I don't want to get a haircut, I don't have to get a haircut. I could use that money for something else. I said, sure, absolutely. He didn't get a haircut for over a year. Mm. Mm -hmm. We had no yeah. idea how much he valued other things and still he started using his own money towards it. And it was really fascinating to watch. Um, that's the kid now going into the Navy. He wore really long hair and a ponytail for a while because he didn't want to mm -hmm. spend his money on a haircut. Yeah. Well, our, our second child, we had no idea. We did not expect haircuts to be a priority. Not only did he want to schedule regular haircuts before we went to the first one, he had watched, right? And so he's like, okay, mom, I know I need to tip. How much do you tip somebody to cut your hair? And it was really yeah. neat to learn what they valued and then to celebrate that with them. One mm -hmm. of my children is more interested in how he looks when he walks out the door than I am. Mm -hmm. And I've had a hard time coming to terms with this because I'm the female and he's the male, right? Mm -hmm. I had that mm -hmm. flipped around and I was really slow to value it. But now that I finally have, it's been really fascinating how we've connected. Mm. And while he spends more of his resources and how he looks than I do, it's been so much fun to realize that as I say to clients, it's never too early. It's not too late. Start where you are.
And as I've shared with him what matters to him now that didn't seem to as a child, it's been so much fun because I can hear him in a different way, which is exactly what you're speaking to in the listening chapter. So I read that and I was like, man, I was a little slow to get to the, some of those things, but I'm here now. Thank you, Scott Harvey, for helping me see that. <laughs> You're welcome. And it's not just the money thing. It's it's the no. from a communication standpoint. From a communication standpoint, I tell parents all the time, let your kids talk to other adults. Let them do their order at the restaurant, even if they want to yes. change things. Let them talk to the waiter or waitress. My oldest child, when she was a senior in high school, she was 17, she wanted a haircut. And she wanted us to call the haircut place and make her an appointment because they didn't have an app, which she thought was stupid, right? Can I just make an appointment on an app? I said, mm -hmm. you're going to have to call them and make the appointment. Mm -hmm. She goes, I don't want to do that. That's really awkward. She went three months of yeah. digging in here and we did not call. And mm -hmm. finally, she called, made the appointment. It wasn't a big deal. I say that to say now at 22... I get to listen to her be an interior designer and talk to every contractor on the phone, talk to the client, talk to all these mm -hmm. people and have intricate, involved, high level communication conversations when at 17, she didn't even want to call and make a haircut appointment. But yeah. we pushed her to do that because this is speaking up for yourself. This is what you're going to have to do as you become an adult. Before we wrap this up, about silence in communication as a family, um, you know, the first thing that you think of, or I think of obviously is, is the silent treatment. And obviously that is incredibly destructive to relationships and families. Mm -hmm. I am also finding on the flip side with strong children who really will push as long as you'll engage that silence has become a way of ending what's really an argument and not a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I kind of want to, I, I love how your book talks about the importance of communication and someone who wrote a book for parents, myself about conversation. Obviously I'm here with you for that because of our setting as parents. Can we talk about where there is a place for silence? Yeah, I think one of the things that I tell in the book and I tell to organizations when I train them on this is silence without rapport feels like we don't care. That's a, mm. a standard thing that I teach everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so what I tell them is that's the rapport is the important piece. That's why my wife and I can spend an hour in the car on a trip not talking and neither one of us thinks the other one's mad because we mm -hmm. have 25 years of rapport and communication and all of that. Rapport is the bridge that will support silence when it's needed. Mm -hmm. Silence mm -hmm. oftentimes cr communicates apathy or approval. In a mm -hmm. family standpoint, if my kid does something that I don't think they should do and I don't say anything about it and they know I know, they're going to think I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. If I'm not, I need to say something. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, you know, my youngest will, she'll argue with a lawyer. She loves to debate. She's just <laughs> good. She, she feels like she's right a lot, which is, like mm -hmm. I said, is going to be a really good trait when she gets out of my house. And there are times I just tell her, I know you're frustrated. I'm sorry you're not getting what you feel is best, but we're mm -hmm. just not going to change on this. Yeah. Like, this is a done conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll let her rant and rave and all those things because her teeter-totter is out of balance. Mm -hmm. And then give it an hour or two, and I'll go back up to her and say, you know I love you, right? This is why I made the decision that I made. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she'll begrudgingly go, I know, 
You know, like mm-hmm. she gets it, but she she couldn't process that because her teeter totter was imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens, especially within a relationship. Like you say you love me, but I don't feel love by how you're treating me. And so my teeter totter gets imbalanced. Right. And it's very easy for me to dig in as the dad and say, well, you're going to do it because I said so, by golly. And then I get upset and it just doesn't go anywhere good. So that we'll no. talk, we'll explain why, but I'm not going to explain why more than like twice. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're not going to convince me otherwise. So I think there is a time where you can just say, I'm just not going to continue this conversation right now. Yeah. yeah. And I have found myself recently um, differentiating conversation and argument. Mm. You know, saying this is no longer a conversation. It's become an argument and this isn't going to help us. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to disengage. And that's been powerful for me. I lived, um, my mother's second husband was a master at the silent treatment. And so I know silence kills. Right. As a parent, it took me 16 years to learn that there was a place for saying, we're going to stop now because this is not a conversation. This is not helping either of us. And I watch parents with toddlers, um, you know, preschoolers try to communicate when the kids teeter totters just upside down. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you and I both know it doesn't work. Um, you mm-hmm. cannot reason with someone who is not level in the moment. And that's not a fault. It's simply a circumstance. So you, you wait. Right. And mm-hmm. it happens again later with teenagers. Um, only they do have these reasoning skills that they didn't have when they were little. And, you know, you try and it's like, why isn't this working? Well, it's not working because it's not time. <laughs> right. So and I really. Logically with teenagers, the last area of the brain to develop is the risk assessment area, which yeah. is why we have to give our input. Like they don't see how this could possibly go wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we have to lean into our fully developed brains. And let them know, I love you, but this is not a great idea. I had a child recently make a proposal and was like, look, we'll have three drivers in the car. Not a problem. One of us will drive there. We'll do the thing. And the other one will drive back. We don't need housing. Mm, Yeah. And I smiled and I said, I really hear how that seems reasonable to you, but that's not an agreement we're signing off on. Right. You know, and we just moved on. Yeah. uh, Yep. And I don't know if I'm ever revisiting that conversation. Actually, I'm never bringing it up again. If they do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully they've come up with a plan B. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, Scott, I, you know, for me, a good book gives language uh, to what I know but didn't have language for. And Silence Kills does exactly that. Another measure for me for a good book is you can transfer it across different things. And while you've written it for businesses as a communication coach, I am incredibly grateful that I got a copy before it was available for release and got to read it as a coach who helps people for personal and professional development, and especially as a mother. It has been affirming for me, it has been challenging for me, and it has been life-giving to me. So thank you so much for writing it. Writing a book is a labor of love, and uh, and I appreciate that you've given it to the world to um, enrich the lives that they live. It's coming out in April. What would you say to people who are interested in buying a copy? 
So it's pre-order available now everywhere that books are sold, but you can also go to silencekillsbook.com and find out all the details. You can see a brief intro video about the book and that kind of stuff to let you know what the book is about before you make the purchase. You can purchase through that site or you can pre-order wherever books are sold. Scott, thank you so much for joining me, Ellen Martin, on A Life Shared, Parent Helps and Renovations. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me, Ellen Martin, for this episode of A Life Shared, Parent Helps and Renovations. I hope in some way it helped you live with others in ways that give life. That's a life shared. It's what we were made for. Mm-hmm.